What is up and welcome back to Zen Business, the show that studies health and mindfulness habits that ultra high performers use to reach the top of their industry and their craft. I'm your host, Jonathan Maxim, Managing Director at K&J Growth Hackers and founder of five digital companies. We've grown these companies to great levels and created an exciting and fulfilling life for our team members, but the truth is it was much more challenging than we ever could have imagined. All right, now let's jump in. All right, guys. Well, welcome back to Zen Business. I'm your host, Jonathan Maxim, as you know. And today I've got the two most brilliant minds in the game, Kale Panaho and Adam Stinson. Um, these are our senior and junior partner here at K&J. And uh, I have been chasing Kale to get on the Zen Business show for months. And I'm pissed off. I'm pissed off at this point. I honestly thought he was going to miss today. It's 7 a.m. in New Zealand. And and you know what? I'm, I'm actually really just thrilled. So thanks for joining today, Kale. <laughs> it's been over a year now. It's okay. I'm I'm glad that I saw it on the calendar and I was like, no, this is something I've been putting off for almost over a year. So <laughs> it's 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 worked. It, the time's happened. Well, guys, I'm I'm really stoked to have both of you here. Um, let's just jump right into it. You know, I think uh, as a team, as a management team, we've been meeting weekly and doing 90 minute problem solving sessions as a team and just like it's hard not to feel like we're catching a wave right now as a business um and you know now that everyone's partners there's a lot of optics into the financial growth of the company and the team and things like that so you know i i want to uh you know flip the script a little bit today and, and throw the ball to you guys uh the rugby ball catch that ball boy <laughs> and um let you guys interview me, um, you know, pick my brain, make me look like a chump, do what, do whatever you got to do. So, uh, Kale, why don't you get us started? What's on your mind? <laughs> yeah, I enjoy that. I've been waiting to get you on this podcast. What I actually want you to do though is interview me. <laughs> Again, thanks for having me, bro. It's, uh, I'm glad to be back doing this with you. We do it day to day, but, um, to have people listening will be another bit of an opportunity. So for me though, I think the, the biggest thing is actually talk about the current opportunity. Something amazing has happened to your life. I don't want to steal the thunder, but I do think it's probably for you to share this news and it's an incredible achievement. So, Yeah, totally. I think that's a good place to start, John. Why don't you just tell us like what happened in the past few weeks uh, around this big opportunity and I guess uh, how you feel right now about it? So on Monday, I was appointed the CEO of a publicly traded uh, tech and software company called... Nebula or Clickstream, they own an app called PayPal, um, which I head up the growth for and, and Adam and the team help and support an app that's gone viral. You know, it's gotten 240,000 downloads in the last month and a half, I think. Um, and about 30, 40% of those are coming organically. So it's really just blowing up. Um, basically, it's a platform. It's like the language learning Facebook, right? It's, it's Facebook for language learning. So it's got a bunch of social feeds and um, you can translate the social feeds into the language that you're native in or the language that you want to learn. You can translate direct messages, et cetera. It's a play on the word uh, pen pal. So you can make pen pals in other countries who will teach you the language, but maybe meet a special person. And the whole component, you know, I think if you have that keen interest in somebody, you're much more likely to learn with them. Uh, and that's that's been a big draw to the platform. The engagement is... People use the app for at least 10 minutes a day on average, 10 minutes and 32 seconds. 68% of the users are loyal users, meaning they come back three times within a day to use the app. So people are just really engaged in it. Um, and that's that's part of why I took on this opportunity. You know, obviously there's a a pull between K and J and and you know becoming the CEO of another company, but um, you know, we discussed it as a team very openly. We voted on it, we brought it to the to the directors' meetings and and we all agreed that this was something we wanted me to do. But um, I'm, I'm most excited about it because the software is just so amazing. And I'm, I'm happy to put our names on that. And you got that pitch down. Those, <laughs> yeah. those investors don't know what's coming. I, I would love to know, and for people who are listening, there's not many people obviously come into a situation where they're having to make pretty hard decisions like this. But most of us on a day-to-day basis are making decisions where we've got one option that seems exciting and another option that's almost as promising. How did you do the calculus behind what was this opportunity? And then obviously that personal piece, because I know the wider broader and part that you brought to us, but how did you personally do that? Well, you know, there's, there's an inherent risk, I think for everybody involved uh, of, of my focus, right? Like we, as a team, uh, mindfulness is one of our core principles and, and that 
inherently includes focus. So how can I provide the same level of focus to K and J because I'm not going to forego my, my role there. How can I provide the same level of dedication and focus to K and J that, uh, I've had, I've been giving while still, you know, doing the same level or, or better of, of, you know, ROI on my time for, for PayPal. The way I shook it out was uh, I blocked out my hours between 4 and 7 p.m. Uh, to focus solely on PayPal in the evenings. And then I start my mornings at 8 a.m. So I can still get eight hours of K&J and then, you know, three, four hours with PayPal each week or each day rather. And that, that was just a really easy black and white cut to, to do. I mean, obviously, there are calls that happen throughout the day here and there for you know, some of my more executive responsibilities at, at Nebula or PayPal. But I think just drawing a hard line between what is this and what is that is, is the easiest way to do it. I, I try not to overcomplicate it. And you know, one of our goals as a management team has been reducing our hours so that we learn to delegate better. So I was actually working a few hours at K&J when I took this role. And now I'm working more hours with this new commitment to, to you guys and to the company, um, which I like. I want to work more. I don't want to work little, but I, I want to be leveraged in how we manage K&J, um, you know, bringing on new talent through our mentorship program and, and passing the baton, letting other people get a piece of the pie, become junior partners and senior partners. I like the piece there where you said you made it simple. Uh, one of the things that I think you've glossed over a little bit there though is hey i'll wake up at eight uh, or i'll actually be working at eight at k and j secondary to that cool or wrap it for and four to seven will be paypal so for everyone like that's an 11 hour working day be a minimum so yeah counting those hours that's, <laughs> yeah. that builds up it's not like you're shy about working your saturdays and sundays either that's right so for us i think for the most normal person in terms of hearing that that's there's a huge amount of work for it how do you actually maintain the level and intensity that you want to to get the key outcomes that you're after while on for 11 hours a day that's for me personally now yeah no that's a great point i like to surf before work and i like to work out before work because that's really my only personal time so that means you know wake up at six and i have two hours to me before i sit down and again that sounds even more crazy now we're talking about 13 hours of intensity but i like to work under pressure i know that i perform better under pressure and having people depend on me helps me produce. So I actually like it that way. Um, and if that's not your working style, if you don't like being under a lot of pressure, you should you know, pencil in time for yourself and, and block it out. But I actually meditate three times a day at this point. And I treat those meditations almost like a little nap. I do a, an 11 minute meditation on Insight called uh, Pure Relaxation. It's just an audio track and I put eye covers on and then I basically go into a beta state, like a very relaxed state for those 11 to 15 minutes. The way I see it is if I'm willing to give somebody a 15 or 30 minute call with them just asking for it, can I ask myself for a 15 minute break? And, you know, within 15 minutes, my body can come to fully relaxed state and I can be, be back in the game, you know, full throttle. It almost feels like I get a second start to my day. So I do that typically around 1 PM and um, 5 PM. And that allows me to come back with a, with a strong fury. Well, historically, I just drink caffeine after every nap because then you like snap right into like a, a clear, clear state of mind. But now I actually drink fresh, fresh juice because I, I get a lot of the same energy from it, but I don't obviously have the residual jittery. The drop. Yeah. Yeah. That comes through. And I'm getting nutrients and stuff from it. Yeah. Do you do the same minutes you said you do it? You do. Yeah. Nice. Oh, that's good. Do you do it? in the morning as well. So you do the first one in the morning, the one at, is at five? I, or was I, I meditate at, at about 7.30 a.m., 1 p.m., 5 p.m. And then if I can't switch my mind off, it's you know 7.30 and I want to go relax, then I will, uh, candidly, I'll often go smoke my uh, weed pen. Um, I'll take like one hit, like a micro dose. Yeah, and it just like clocks me out really well. And then I'll often meditate or do yoga after that. But again, that does sound like a long day and it's not perfect. I don't want to act like I hit my routine every day, but at least having some structure to think to uh, really allows me, it, it gives me the grace of saying like, okay, you can take a few days off here and there, but like at least know where you're going with your day so that you don't feel lost because feeling lost in your day is really a detrimental thing to productivity in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. I have a, a little follow-up question, I guess, for both of you guys, uh, because we're always kind of doing uh, that sequence that you talked about. We're like, we're up early, we're ramping up, ramping up, 
pushing, pushing, pushing. And then we got to ramp down and uh, be about our evenings and sleep and stuff. Just but hard. yeah, it is. It gets tough. And I, I, I feel you on that. Uh, you know, seven, seven o'clock rolls around and you're like, ah, I'm going to smoke some weed and just chill and then fall asleep for sure. But at least it's not like two glasses of whiskey instead, you know, but yeah, <laughs> I've, I've been down that road before too. Definitely. Um, but you know, I, I think this question works if you put it in a context, but like, let's say that the two of you were writing a book, like how many hours of absolute sustained focus do you guys feel like you have in a day like where it's just pure concentration you're able to put your head down and like work on something you know how, how many hours do you think like before you're like fuck it i can't think anymore yeah i think i imagine mine's less than yours johnny i know you've certainly got a, a an ability to do this mine's about three to four hours I don't think anybody can do it like Johnny can do it. I think that's a secret weapon, honestly. Well, thank you for saying that. Honestly, I was going to say two hours of, of uninterrupted oh, focus. Shit. I mean, I can stay on. I think it's due to schedule, though. I think it's due to schedule, not because of the actual inability to do it. Because it's I have probably good two hours, and I'll do it post-up. So that's writing. And then I probably got another spot in the day where I know I try and clear out from my 1 to 3 p.m. NZ time, where I will focus on execution. Um, and it usually ends up between those two spots. Um, so, yeah, this, this is a really tough one. I mean, I'd like to say that I would do like a four hour block and just destroy my most important tasks for the day, my MITs, but it's not that simple. I usually go from eight to 10 or eight to 11 AM working on my MITs. Uh, and then I don't open Slack. I don't open telegram. I don't open WhatsApp because what I found, the more executive you get, like the more you're working on partnerships and, uh, investing and strategy and stuff like that. It's all just meetings and conversations. There's very little dirty work that goes into it. So the, the more executive you get, the more distractions you have from, from messaging. And so when I respond to a message, I often get a response within a few seconds or a few minutes. So I'm, I'm bouncing back and forth, trying to keep up with messages. And these are important conversations, but it's pulling me away from our, from my focus work. So I just try to cut off all communication, social media, texting, you know, I message all that. I try to cut that off whenever I need to get things done. Um, and then I also use a, uh, I use the hide feature on, on iOS. So I'll hide all the windows, but the one that I'm working in and then I'll maximize it. That's, that's been helpful. Um, Sean Patel, Dr. Dr. Patel from prep expert, Mark Cuban company. Um, he taught me to, to leave my phone in a different room. Like if you can't turn your phone off and ignore it then put it in a different room. So oftentimes when I'm trying to focus, I will do that. And, you know, admittedly, I'm not the best about it, but I also realized that a lot of the most successful people I met are just the ones who are shaking babies and kissing hands. You know, it's like the guys who are broken conversations, setting up relationships, and then just tacking a little bit of margin onto the deal. It's not the guys who are the workhorses. There's almost like this benefit of being like a fast responding, versatile, you know, broker essentially, and not, not being the workhorse. So that leads me to the, the next piece, because there's another part where we use deep work pretty largely. Um, it's a book by Cal Newport for anyone who hasn't read it. Uh, but it's one of the philosophies that we work around and we try to use that inside of the company. I think coming back to it, and I don't know what the listener group is for Zen, but I maybe want to go back to the starting point, right? KJ's on for about 5 million NZD this year. We started literally me and you <laughs> hustling for like $2,000 clients. I am really, really interested to see what your habits or what you think your success or the pieces to get us to are from there, from when we started and then how they've changed to literally becoming a CEO of a public company, right? There's a huge gap there between we're about over just four and a half years now, coming up to five. What were the habits back then that you think have gotten you there and to where we are now? It's a really good question. I think it's Michael Porter, the famous marketing strategist who said, what you got you here will not get you there. Or what got you to today will not get you to tomorrow. And that's, that's a really interesting thing. Cause I think historically me and a lot of other people have pumped, like have a meditation habit, have a journaling habit, blah, blah, blah. But what I've realized is those habits change, right? Like early on, we needed to have a lot of grit, a lot of hustle. So we needed to do a lot of mindfulness techniques to stay focused and to just get it done. So we were doing much more dirty work back then, uh, much more technical work, 
you know, being in the trenches. And that, I think at the time I might've meditated for 20 minutes twice a day. I did a lot more journaling and a lot more goal setting to kind of like put myself on some rails and tracks. But now at this stage, I feel like there's a, I, I'm like, if you're into surfing, there's like, it's called like the corner or the pocket of the wave, like right where the crest is. And I feel like I'm right there. You get this euphoric feeling right before you stand up on your board and then you just cruise. And I feel like I'm, I'm in that pocket in the sense that the business is working for me. Like it's, it's propelling me forward. And these kind of opportunities, I couldn't imagine them just coming along, especially if I'm not actively pursuing it, but because the company has a certain reputation for it, it's, it's growth marketing. Um, these opportunities present themselves. I mean, both Kale and I have gotten offers from other companies to take over several times. I mean, I got two in the last year and turned them both down and finally accepted this one, but it's a lot easier than it used to be. Right. And so it's very easy to get lazy for that reason. I think when I meet a lot of my role models, they don't have as good of habits as I do. And I'm like, how did you even get here? Well, maybe they had those habits back in the day. So I think we need to like, kind of like be on our edge and like actively improving our habits and to, to not get lazy when you actually get some momentum, especially because if, if we, you know, were to sell the company or we were to change directions as a, as a person, we would start back at ground zero and have to have all those same good habits again. So I think it's just good to have them either way. If you were to advise someone on this next piece of just starting out. And I think one of the things that has been really beneficial for us, because when we started, there was a lot of people who were our mates who had started companies at the exact same time that don't have businesses today, that don't exist, and they don't have those sort of opportunities that have come to you and to I. And so one of the things that I wanted to discuss is what do you think has separated us in the terms of success? Because every man and his dog still had a digital agency back in 2017. I think now we've still got a digital agency and there's been only more proliferation of these. What do you think separated that? I think the, the thing that made us win in our space was just consistency. I mean, we never let up. We never got lazy. We had legal threats. We had campaigns that didn't work out. We had clients who tried to put us through hell and we just never gave up. I mean, there's going to be so much up and down and you know, the people who I looked at, you know, we went through a coaching program when we first started our agency. So we had a cohort of 11 agencies like us. And I would say maybe one of them exists. Its name is Gange A at this stage. Um, and if I look at the ones that don't exist anymore, they're just people who got ADD. You know, they, they said, oh, this is not a good niche or it's too hard or it's too competitive. There's a million excuses we can make. We are literally in the most competitive industry. Like agencies, if you were to tell me you're starting a marketing agency, I'd be like, don't bother. It's too competitive. That space is way crowded. But like there obviously are people who are winning in the space. And yeah, it's just in my opinion, it's people who, who who gave up on the dream, who got ADD, shiny, shiny object syndrome, and wanted to go change their product offering or go to a coaching model or go to a software model. And and every time you change directions, you start over. Um, and we just kept at it. The same thing, same branding kept, you know, getting small, you know, small case studies here and there using those until we got TikTok as a case study and New Zealand government, that stuff accumulates, you know, just like any kind of investment, it accumulates and compounds over time, your investments in your brain, your investments in your coaching, your investments in the business, your financial investments, it all compounds. But every time you stop and change gears, you start your investment over and you start from zero. 1%, 2% at a time. Whereas, you know, we are growing 50% per year, whatever our growth rate is this year. And that's compounded, right? That's 2% over 4% over 8%. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. We're at 600 something percent last year. And now we're on, again, we're looking to at least double or triple. So I do agree. And I think that's an incredible piece, right? I like the fact that consistency is giving us that ability to produce compounding interest. And one of the things that obviously the most powerful forces that people talk about is compounding interest. And when it's yourself, you're obviously the driver of those key things. One of the parts that I think we may overlook is you said we've had legal threats. Yep. I remember all of those. <laughs> we've had issues where we've had to go through and deal with really bad clients. We were up late in the evening. One of the pieces that I, for me personally, is one of the things I'm most thankful for, and Adam, I'll touch on with you in a moment, is the support. 
likewise, when we've both, you know, when we've been in shitty times and some real crappy stuff, we were like, cool, shit's gone backwards, we're cold calling. It's been the ability to rely on one another. And I don't know what happened. I think we got pretty lucky that we got to meet each other very early on from where we did. But I would say, what would be the things that you look for in a partnership for someone who's starting out a business and they wanted to find someone else to partner with? And this is where we'll come back to you, Adam, is why I think some of those traits that you exist. But Jeff, kick us off. Yeah, I think, you know, the fact somebody asked me the other day, uh, oh, I was interviewing a, a potential hire and he asked me why we hired Adam. Was there a specific or why we gave Adam partner? Was there a specific rubric or anything like that? And I told him, no, I was like, we purposely don't have a rubric for this. But I think if I was advising a new founder a few years ago, I might've said, don't, don't have a partnership. You want to keep all the profit for yourself because I had many failed partnerships. It's very hard to make a partnership work. I mean, there's so many variables. It's like making a, a love relationship work. Uh, there's a little less emotion, but it's still thousands of variables. And so you have to have that foundation, not just like a friendship, but like a genuine compatibility. I think Kale and I, like at a fundamental level, we agree on a lot of stuff. We're both mindful. You know, I'm more into like Buddhism and and like mindfulness, and Kale's a little bit more into Stoicism and Seneca. Um, but those belief systems are very similar. Um, and I, of course, you know, love the the, the Seneca and the uh, that whole Stoic belief system. But you know, that fundamental, I think those puzzle pieces fit together, right? So at a very deep level, we relate. And then we have a friendship, an emotional connection to each other that we don't want to let go of. And then we have our business relationship at like the core, at the crust of this, right? So if you got these layers to this relationship, there's the core, which is our belief systems. Then there's the friendship and, you know, the opportunity to make money around that. And then there's the business around that. And, and, and within that, those radiating circles, there's the, a, a thick and um, flexible layer of trust. Like that trust has to be, not brittle, but it has to be durable. And just trusting that this person ultimately has your best intentions in mind. And however you treat somebody is the, the behavior they'll reflect back to you. So if you treat them distrustfully, then they will think that you don't trust them and they will feel more inclined to do distrustful activities to you. So you have to be vulnerable and expose yourself and say, I'm going to lean in and trust you, even if I don't know 100% that you're solid and perfect and they're not perfect. They will do things that piss you off. And we have had conflicts, right? Like we haven't had a perfect relationship, but what we never gave up was that like uh, that rubber, that flexible, but durable trust. Trusting that even if you're pissed off at me right now, or I am at EO, at a deep level, I have your best intentions in mind. I have the best interests of the business in mind. But this is something that we formed over time. It's not like we just got started. And we're like, all right, Kale, you got everything that I needed in a partner. And you know, I have everything that you could ever want. It's not like that. You, you only learn that stuff from going through the trenches with somebody. So it just takes, you know, you just got to commit to somebody. I, you know, being in a serious love relationship now, I after realizing like this person's going to be my long-term partner, then it made all the other decisions way easier because I'm like, oh, well, if something happens, I know she's still going to be there afterward. And that confidence and reassurance I see is why people get married because it's like, oh, that way, if anything happens, we know nothing's going to break us apart. And it's the same way I look at our relationships here with K and J is like, you guys are my married partners. Uh, it's pretty gay. And, um, and <laughs> that's good. Yeah. And, I, and we go, we play rugby on the weekends, you know, toss a ball around, yeah, play with the balls bit. and put some short shorts on. <laughs> so, you know, like I just know that no matter what happens, you guys got my back. But I had to trust you with that before I, I got that behavior and that treatment back out of you guys. So I guess with that said, Kale, I know you wanted to, to talk about Adam coming on as a junior partner this year and, and really rocketing up the, the ranks at K&J. What, what was the question that you had for him off the backs of this? I think touching on the, the piece that you had there first, which is the, the trust. You have to go through trenches first. And we went through a lot of trenches when we're starting out and we went into conflicts together both of us were dealing with some really shitty times with the clients asking questions and going through that but the piece that i think for others is and before i jump to adam is how would you stress test that in case you wanted to find that out and you want to say look you know there's a few partners and people i want to see how would be some activities that you would stress test that and i know we've got some things inside the k and j that do that but i'm keen to hear your answer on it 
Yeah, I think the easiest way to do that is to agitate something sensitive or agitate something emotional. So for a new partnership or friendship, say, let's sign a contract. A lot of people are, when they're young founders, are scared of signing contracts. They're like, oh, we don't need no contract. We're best buddies, blah, blah, blah. But that tests how they're going to react. Are they going to be reactive and emotional? Are you going to get into an argument over it? Or is it going to be like, yeah, it's probably a good idea to set the expectation before we get into something together to manage expectations and set agreements. So just pick something that's uh, potentially a risky conversation and see how they react. If they get really reactive and aggressive, there's your answer. Yeah, I almost feel like it's get started negotiating with them. You know, like start having the hard conversations with them and see how that rolls out. You know, can you talk about equity splits early on? Like, how does that conversation go? Does it go well? Is everybody happy with that negotiation? Or did it fall apart instantly as soon as you brought up, you know, who's getting what percentage of equity? Because that happens all the time. It's happened to me and people that I wanted to work with, you know, like mm -hmm. as soon as you talk about who gets what. You know, it's just, it goes out the window immediately. And then you both realize really quickly, like, oh, this is not, this isn't it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't want to make some of those concessions. I think the spot now for Adam is where I would like to take us. And for you coming in and joining us, obviously, you're a junior partner here. Uh, but one of the things that is, we've stress tested this. Have you now? <laughs> it wasn't a overnight promotion. <laughs> we, I know you, you're one of the few people I met when I came to LA. And so this next part, obviously, coming into the company and for someone who's starting out who's 24 now. Yeah. So I met you at 21, I think, um, when I first came to LA. So I would love for you to give some advice around what you've done in your career path that's allowed you to actually come in and then be you know, a partner at a company that's doing a fair bit of revenue. Totally. Well, um, Kale kind of hit the nail on the head. Like I'm just a 24 year old kid who got put into this situation more or less. I mean, I was aiming for it obviously and trying to get up in there, but yeah, I mean, I I've thought a lot about, you know, how I want to go about my career and my life and how I'm going to develop my character and that kind of stuff. And I, I landed on something that's unorthodox to what I see a lot of other people my age doing, but I think it all started with, and I think this is why, you know, you and John agreed to take me on in the first place, like way before the partnership talk happened. And it was just that, like, I wanted to learn. I, I remember when I walked up to John for the first time and met him, I told him, Hey, I want to, I want to learn how to do what you do. How should I start? And he goes, Hey, you should interview with us. And I was like, great, cool. Thanks. And so I did that. And then on the interview, I was like, yeah, no, I guess I kind of know what I'm doing, but like, I want to learn. And they're just, you guys were just like, great, cool. And uh, you just got to keep carrying that out. You know, you got to see everything as an opportunity to learn. And if you get paid to do your learning, like that's fucking great too. But that's second. Like the, the, first is, the first and most important thing is the learning and doing that as much as you can all the time, do, getting experience, even if it means that you know, you're, you might not get, be getting paid fairly, quote unquote, whatever that means. Like, I think, I, think I'm, I see a lot of conversation on LinkedIn these days about whether or not unpaid internships should be a thing in the US. And I think that's a, that is a stupid conversation. Yes, unpaid internships should absolutely be a thing. And every person should strive to get one because as soon as you take money, there's expectations. And so those expectations don't necessarily allow you to be super flexible. Like one of the things when I was working for you guys unpaid, like you guys let me do anything I wanted, you know, and that was kind of the cool part. It was just like, oh, do, you know, can I try to fix uh, our project management software? Sure. Whatever, Adam. Cool. And then I would go and try it, you know, and then come out with something cool and improve the business. And then eventually that leads into like, oh, okay, Adam actually learned what he's doing. And now he's a viable person to actually give money to uh, because he did all that unpaid work and he did all that learning. And yeah. I really like that last part for what you just discussed, which was if you're not paid, the expectations aren't there for you to have yeah. some form of performance. And a lot you of can do whatever you want. That. Yeah. A lot of people overlook that is because it allows you to take risk. And the thing is, it comes back to this wider piece of your, we got interrupted because you're your mom's house. But what Not it does is minimizes, house, yeah, it minimizes your risk to such a point that 
you're able to take a gamble. You can take a lot more chances on finding the right role. And you can also be more risky in your behavior because the minimized amount of risk that you actually have to do is that your living costs aren't high. Mm-hmm. You've got the opportunity to put your hand up for any form of learning. And then the best mm-hmm. piece about it is that there's no expectation of you to actually perform any form of outcome. You're just trying right. to get the maximum piece out of the tools that you're learning from. I mean, I don't, I don't have a car payment. I don't have a student loan payment. I don't have rent. I don't have any of that. You know, I, I get to just go and do as much learning as I could possibly bear to do in any given single day and just try to get better and better. And I mean, that's kind of the, you know, we talked about compounding being the most powerful force in, in the world. And I've, I've very intentionally organized all of my habits and what I do to be compounding. You know, so I, I want every part of my day to reflect the trajectory I'm going on or the, the trajectory I want to manifest. So that means like reading, writing, working with you guys, saving money, investing money. Like every part of what I do is an investment in the future, even to the point like I stopped drinking, you know, just because I was like, hey, look, that's not a, a compounding effect. You know, when I go out and I do my drinking, it doesn't create a compounding effect for me. So like, why should I do it? Why not use that extra time to focus on something that compounds? And gets bigger and bigger as time goes on. And that's it. That's, I'm keeping that focus. I'm not letting that. Yeah, this is something I really want to pick up on is deferred gratification. But as I've grown into these different roles, you know, now taking the CEO role at PayPal, I've, I've noticed that everyone who uh, is a role model to me or like really made it like very, very successful um, does a lot of stuff on a performance basis. And I think that's a pretty important change that uh, Kane J experienced in December of this last year. We went from, you know, making, I, I think we were making like 75 grand a month with my side of the business at the time down to like 20. Um, we were like 30K in the hole that month. And it was rough. Me and Kale had a big confrontation over it. And I reassured Kale, I was like, look, dude, I'm going to get us to where we were and I'm going to get us well above it with performance basis. I promise you that. And we beat it in May. Um, that's when I bought myself a new car as a reward for, for hitting that goal. But you know, when I look at PayPal, the founders of the Aster company, Clickstream, they, uh, they don't make anything until they sell the company, right? In fact, they do a ton of work to raise capital to buy the company. Mind you, all of this is unpaid because they're raising capital. So they're just going and pitching people. And then they buy this new company and then they have to grow it and sell it. So they don't get paid until they sell the company. So it could be a three-year divide between when they start a project and they get their first paycheck. And I think anybody who's new to business or early in their career, they would never work for free for three years. But like what Adam said, like you should take an internship, be an apprentice uh, to the master and get defer it for three years if you need to. But, but the guys over there are... I'm not going to, I can't say how much they're going to make, but let's just say it's multi eight figures, right? But they're, they're willing to defer it for three years. So when the PayPal role came along, I took 95% of my compensation as performance based. It's all about how well I do, but you got to remember, okay, so let's say I do do a shit job. I basically make no money. And on the tail end, if I do a great job, I make that 10 X. Right. So people like me and Kale and Adam are willing to pay way more for a guaranteed job rather than somebody who will do a mediocre job for five grand a month. So that's that's the the biggest change in and somebody who's outside of my world when people ask about my my comp structure with PayPal and stuff like that, and I tell them like it's 90% performance based. They can't fathom that. They can't stomach. They're like, well, you're an idiot. That's the first thing that comes to mind for them. But what they don't understand because they haven't seen the trenches like I have, that's how the big shots make it. They take a huge risk on the front end. And we saw it on a small scale with Kane J because we no longer have minimums. You know, clients don't have to pay us five to 10 grand a month. They only pay us however much sales they get, right? So if we're doing a, a crap job, then like we don't make any money. Um, so our skin, you know, our skin is in the game and that's the big difference. Uh, so whether it's deferring your pay for three years, like those guys that I was talking about, or whether it's taking an internship that's unpaid, you need to be thinking long-term and, and Adam, you know, four X his pay, he's making over five figures a month without a college degree, two, three years into a job. He owns 10% of a company that's got a, a multi-million dollar valuation. So it's like, 
all deferred, right? So as long as you can defer that gratification, you're going to get paid multiples down the road. And so that's, that's the big difference that I'm hearing from Adam and that I experienced coming onto this role in PayPal. Well, totally. And on the back side of that, I still don't have any expenses. So if I'm making five figures plus a month, like all of that, it just disappears from my checking account and goes straight into investments. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm just putting that away for another 10 years down the line and that's fine. Like that's in my, and I'm pretty sure I'll be retired by the time I'm like 35, like just following this track. There's no reason to believe that I wouldn't based on how much I've already been able to put away. I, I, I could live for years with what's in my checking account and, and assuming that I don't, you know, take on any big boy expenses like uh, anyone realistically would, but like a G wagon or rent or something, you know? I like it. Yes, Subaru Outback. Subaru Outback. Those are pricey. We got to <laughs> settle down, you guys. You can't be, yeah. can't be dreaming up Subaru Outbacks in here. Yeah, Outbacks and boats, you know, it's like yachts, same category. <laughs> That's a very key pivotal piece. And, and similar for those who don't know, I own another company called Rugby Bricks, an e-commerce brand. I'm not taking a wage. It's based on performance and I'm going and taking more equity and I'm deferring obviously that reward. And that's a big piece that I see most people won't want to do is that they will want more spotlight or more success or more social media posts. And they want to put them out now as opposed to being like, cool, I got to eat shit for three years. And that's the key piece is most people just aren't thinking like that and being okay with it. And the, the other part is they're also increasing the expense of their life as they go through. I want to look like a great entrepreneur. I'm going to go buy X amount of this, this, and this. And if you look at the nature of the way KJ is, we're a relatively thrifty company. What's just happened for those who have left is we jumped off a Zoom link that would have been uh, 40 minutes long. <laughs> we jumped off because we wanted to bring a new meeting in so we don't have to pay for Zoom. One of the things that we're still holding a lot of these habits and that we're going through is that it's a cool way to think about how we spend our money and we do that with our lives. But the more you can reduce your costs, the more risks you can actually take. And so, you know, you've seen a company that's got $5 million in revenue, but we're thinking again, like we're at the start in terms of saying, how do we minimize risk? How do we reduce costs? Because ultimately on the other flip side of that is that we're just willing to pay it off or have and actually take the money and put it where we want. Yeah. And not have... We like try to get all of our softwares for free. Re reach out to our project management software CEO and just like, hey, can we get a Crazy. discount? Like, I know we can yeah, afford it. It saves but... us 250 bucks a month and... I'll happily make a trade. I'll go post about them on socials or I'll put them in an email thread or I'll promote them to every client that we sign through our onboarding document. And that, that way of thinking, it's just a very scrappy and gritty way of thinking. And, you know, people might call me cheap. Um, you know, when that, when Kale wants to make a new hire and I got to make an email that costs 12 bucks a month, like, you know, there's a little resistance there, but it's 12 bucks. Yeah, but it like, come on, most people will blow that on launch and, launch and never think about it again. Um, I certainly have. But that, that way of thinking is, it's all based on, um, let's not indulge now, right? There will be times to indulge later, right? But it'll, we'll have much more when it's time to indulge. So the indulgence will be much better. It's a very growth hacking mentality. Right. Taking minimal resources and making them go as far as you can. And that's where we start. And that's sort of what we do. And so I think that's a cool piece of our personalities right in that front. So switching tack though, uh, Johnny, I got another question for you. And I think, you know, I'll let you lead probably from the end here, but the, the next part that it goes through is you have found, uh, from what I understand, maybe the one, the partner that you are saying you want to spend the rest of your life with. Don't, don't jinx this. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. You found a great partner. I would love to understand for you, one of the things is what does it look like for you to form a relationship that supports you in your work life as well? Because I think that's been one of the key things that you've been able to, or having known you now for the last five years of my life, this has been the one that's probably been the most fulfilling on that front. Can I add to that question? Please. How has like having this long-term relationship that you're obviously very committed to and see a future, like, has that changed how you view your relationship with work and the hustle and the grind um, or maybe how you approach it at all? Yeah. So let me just hash out these questions. So Kale, the first one was... The first part for my question was actually how you found this partner. 
and then how it's actually gone through to actually uh, make you as happy as you are and then also adds the value to the work. And I think Adam said the second piece is obviously going through and understanding, you know, how you've actually produced, how you've got a partner that then it's allowing you to be more fulfilled at work from what I understand. Yeah, basically the power couple stuff. Okay, cool. So how I came about this relationship, I, this is going to sound foo-foo, but I think it was totally manifested. Um, I think I put out into the universe what I wanted and the universe gave me back, but the universe made me wait. Right. I've had three relationships that were three years long and I'm only, you know, quarter of that into this relationship, but I already know. Right. So the, there's no question there. So how did I move so much faster in this one? Well, I'm 33 and I've deferred getting married or making a lifetime commitment to somebody before I was genuinely ready. I think a lot of people feel hurried by their family, by society, et cetera, to seal the deal. Or they, they knock somebody up and then they're, uh, uh, they're obliged to be a life partner. And those are not places of positivity. They're not uh, authentic, authentic, authentic reasons to make a lifetime commitment to somebody. So I waited. I, I deferred gratification. That's the short answer. And when that person came along, I was mature enough because I had been through three, three, three-year relationships, three rounds in the game, and I knew exactly what I didn't want. So it, was really, it made it very easy when I saw what I did want to pick that up and, and, and run with it. So I think, yeah, I think God brought her into my life. Um, and he did it only once I was ready. If I had, I think if I had gotten married to one of my past partners, I'd be divorced right now because it wouldn't have come from a place of authenticity and, and, uh, abundance. It would have come from a place of fear and obligation and know that those are both, you know, not positive forces, either they're external or they're negative. So that I think is how we came to each other, how we actually met. We met through a friend, you know, it's, it's pretty cool to not have met through a dating app. And I think that was another blessing that God gave me by waiting. He said, I'm going to do it the authentic way. You're going to meet through a friend, not, uh, through some manufactured type of experience. And what this person has brought to my life is they have taught me to delegate better. That's the short answer because I, uh, I get so much restoration of hanging out. Uh, getting more sleep, um, partying less, you know, not spending money and time and effort out dating. I get a very restorative experience when I hang with my partner. Now that, uh, that makes me come back to work more full, more rich and better moods and things like that. So I come more well-rested, more optimistic and benevolent and more understanding because she's a female teacher, you know, she's in corporate communication. So like very HR type of work. So she teaches me to be more empathetic with the team. So I show up better every day, but I also manage my time better so that I can have time with her too. And because now I'm not just diving after every single technical task that comes across my plate, I'm learning to delegate better. I delegate to Adam and then Adam delegates to Lisa. And now it's off of both of our plates. And the thing happens without me having to think about it. So that's her big contribution to me was teaching me to delegate through a forcing function saying, you're going to make time to spend with me. However you make that time, you got to figure it out. But that was a conversation with myself. Uh, you know, she didn't literally say that I have to dedicate time to you is how do I make it so that I can have time for her. So that's, that was a really valuable uh, lesson that, that she learned into me. Um, and to answer your question, Adam, how do, how does this relationship enhance my performance and my, my financial returns on my, my time investments and my effort. And the short answer is that it's a power couple type of relationship. She has her own career. Um, I can't say, you know, how much money she makes, but she makes more than I did when I was in corporate at Comcast and she has equity in the company. You know, she's worked at Taco Bell, GitHub, and now Heap, another tech company. And she makes great money. She has her own career, hobbies, et cetera. So with that money, she can buy all the fundamentals that she wants and then everything above and beyond she can put toward you know, us buying a house or something like that. And so that is very empowering for me because I don't have to worry about her feeling like she doesn't have purpose and direction. Um, maybe that'll change. You know, Maybe she'll become a mother and, and focus more inward. But that really allows me to be empowered at work because I don't have to feel guilty working a lot. And, you know, she brings her own income to the table. But I think another thing, you know, that's just more of like an operational component of the relationship. What I think she really adds to my performance is that she's very trusting in me. And when somebody is trusting in you, it makes you feel like bulletproof. You can do anything. You're like, I feel empowered by this person. She's deep in her feminine and she lets me lead. 
And that allows me to be very aggressive to have that tiger blood that we look for at K and J, because I know if everything falls to shit, I have somebody to fall back on. And I know that relationship is going to be there. Just like I know if my business life goes to shit, I can go lean on Kale and Adam. And so it's that safety net. Yeah. I think the piece that you've really identified well there is one trial and error. You went through this, but you were willing to wait. So again, that's first is that you were able to try it. Didn't work out, but you were able to defer the gratification as well. And then the, the, the other part of this is through that there, that process of actually trying stuff. And it's the same thing, I think, for a lot of people who may not know, you know, you had an app prior to this, you've had worked in Comcast, like you've tried other things first and they haven't panned out the way you want them to be. It's the same way in this relationship. But most people, and I think a lot of people don't talk about that, and it was a really good piece, they do this out of insecurity. They settle early, make that call, and then they, they're like, cool, I'm stuck. I've invested too much in this relationship. And they don't want to pull the pin. And I think that was a really key point that I've thought through and I listened to there, bro. So congrats though. I think, you know, I haven't seen you this stoked. I remember watching you go to Paris and I was oh, like, yeah. yo, I was so excited. Hikey. Um, yeah, hikey. I don't I've never really used that word ever in my life apart from now, but it's good. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think anybody in the world uses that word. Just me. Just me. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's super interesting that this conversation looped back around to delayed gratification because that's, I mean, that's exactly what it is really. And I see people in relationships all the time who like want the idealized kind of imaginary fantasy land relationship to be on their lap right now. And so they're trying to just manufacture that like nobody's business when, you know, something that you can, a relationship that you can sustain for your entire life. I mean, that's like a slow drip. Like you got to be ready to get in the trenches and dig, you know, and, mm -hmm. and do the hard work and do that upfront negotiating and take some punches to the chin all throughout yeah. the way, you know, and still keep your head high for the sake of both of you. But yeah, I mean, it just kind of comes back like, you know, I, where we are now seems to be because of our focus on delaying the gratification and doing that hard work and that gritty stuff now to, to protect our future. Yeah, there was this uh, there's this phase of my life when Kale first met me where I was I went from making 160 grand a year cash. I was a W uh, 1099, so I was like just pocketing 13 grand a month, 13.5, spending like three grand of it, saving like 10 grand a month. And then I literally went down to zero. I went into debt because I spent all my money building this other company and I couldn't pay my rent in December of 2016. And uh, that's right around when K&J was founded. We, we founded K&J in February, or the LLC was formed in February of 2017. I remember my one buddy who was an investment banker and another guy who was a high-level sales executive uh, at a car company. And one of them had just become worth $500,000. The other one was making 240 grand a year. And I was literally living on peanuts. And these guys are best friends of mine from college. Like we were on the same track. We should, I should have been pacing with them. And I remember feeling so bad about making so little. How did I go from being a, a rising star in a Fortune 50 company to being like a homeless guy, basically? And, um, and the other guys, they, you know, you always smell that. They knew that I was in debt and I was struggling and stuff. It always shows. And I was really self-conscious about it. Two years, three years later, me and Kale closed TikTok and me and him were taking like $30,000 paychecks a month, making huge profit. And just K&J was doing well. I mean, it wasn't just TikTok. We had uh, other companies. We were doing like 350 grand a month at the time and we were pocketing like 30% of it. So him and I would like take like $50,000 paychecks at a time. And I remember going to those two guys. We met up years later and we we're hanging out and talking and somehow they coaxed out of me how much I was making. Because guys are always measuring each other's dicks, right? They're always like totally. checking dick size. And I told him, and the dude was, you know, probably making about 20 grand a month because he was, you know, on track for $240,000 a year. And he, he got really aggressive with me. He got kind of like, we got into an argument. And he's like, um, you know, your path is just different. He doesn't understand entrepreneurship at all. Uh, ironically, he's an entrepreneur now. But he at the time was like, you just chose the path where, you know, you kind of start over from scratch and, and don't really make any money. And I'm like, dude, I don't know where we had a miscommunication, but I'm making 50 grand a month right now. That, that is not a concern. And he got really aggressive with me after I said that. And it was weird because it was like, I don't know. I just felt bad. He, he made me feel really bad about it because he didn't understand this. And I just, I think it's by, by me quitting my company, quitting my corporate job and 
being willing to go literally live like a homeless person, go to the gutter. I moved back in with my parents after that happened. I don't know if you guys recall, but I moved back to Ohio and stayed with my parents for three months. You know, that phase of my life has allowed me to unlock seven and eight figure wins these days. So, you know, can't be benchmarking. Like sometimes we're rich, sometimes we're poor. Got to be loyal to your mm-hmm. friends, even when they're broke or you're broke. Um, Cause you know, one day you might need them to spot you. Right. That's it. And this year, a lot of people, the problem, and we've all got this propensity to share the highlight reel. And so the issue is no one's seeing or going through those periods of flux. You're down, you're up. And for most people, they're like, oh, cool. Person X started company and now they're here. And it's like, cool, it's a linear journey. And it's like, it's not, it's not even fucking close to it. And the, the key piece is that although you were making a lot of that, you know, 50 grand, we were in those times we were doing that. We were up like messaging in China till like 2 a.m. your time. Sometimes yeah, midnight like calls all the time. Yeah, I'd be sitting there, I'd be like, oh no, I've got to talk to Roxy. It's like midnight. How you doing? How's TikTok How going? Yeah. <laughs> and these things here is that the, this highlight reel is obviously the things that we're going through, but it, it's all in flux. And the biggest piece that I think people need to understand is that there's just inherent risk in doing this. People don't see it, but there's just an inherent risk in trying this, failing. And then there's no, that point when you're at your lowest, like very similar moving back in with your parents or similar to me where like I've had almost no cash and I'm negative money, like pretty bad points of where I was in debt, maybe like 30 grand. When we started this company too, it was like, man, I am in a real bad That's how much I had when we started the company, 30 (laughs) grand for my former company. Oh man, that's that sort of space. Like we keep going backwards and it wasn't probably that high, but it was close to it. And if you look at those situations where you come back from that, is that at that point in time, your own morale is as low as possible. Like you don't have that ability to come through, but being consistent and that key piece of deferring gratification have been the things that have allowed us consistently to go through. But the last part of it, I think I want to point out, and John, you do this quite well, is it's a quote that I share and I shared it last night. I was on a, um, a live with, I think Facebook, I did, yeah, I did a Facebook event like with Facebook and Fariki, which was cool. Um, they're a New Zealand organization here. And one of the things I said is you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Right. And so a lot of us here have highly reinforcing habits. The conversation that we're having right now is really normal for all of us. What are you investing in? The chat that we're in. How much did you sell? How much money are you making? How are you spending it? How are you thinking about Mm -hmm. spending it? These are all the things that if you wake up to on your phone and you're like, shit, Adam's made another two grand today and I haven't, all it's going to make you do is want to make more money, right? And so there's the key pieces in those there. But Johnny, I want to talk about how you've built your network because one of the things that you mentioned was, you know, shaking hands and kissing babies. I'm really interested to see how you've intentionally built a network that's allowed you to do that. Yeah, I think the the average of the five, like if you hang out with five idiots, you're going to become the six. If you hang out with five millionaires, you're going to become the six, right? Like that thinking just unlocks you because, you know, I compete internally with you guys too. I see you doing well and I want to do better. It's nothing like offensive. It's like a football team though. Like we all want to do better. And I got brought into this group called Brothers of LA and basically it's a group of millionaire bros, if I'm being honest. And you, <laughs> you, have to, you have to reach a certain benchmark. You have to get invited by the administrator. And I dropped a note to the group about you know, this M&A work that we're doing as a group here. I talked about looking for a new mentor or mentee. And within minutes, I had like 10 responses of really heavy hitting companies uh, hitting me up. Like one guy has an agency that does 50 mil a year and you know 10 mil a year in profit. And he wants to join this M&A work that we're doing, which would be huge for us, right? It might not come through. I'm not expecting anything out of it, but these are the people that I'm uh, interacting with in this group. And that group is an example of, uh, of what a great network should look like, right? It should be dense with heavy hitters, should not have much fat on the operation. I think you need to be able to draw boundaries and say, this person is a, a taker, not a giver, right? This person is, is taking energy, not giving energy to me. And that's one of the things I did this year. There's two specific people I cut out of my life in a very intentional way who my friends are friends with. And I got a lot of kickback about it, a lot of pushback. People got pissed at me and they're like, why are you cutting this guy off? Why are you being a dick about this? 
And the truth is, is the, the guy was a taker. These two people were just subtracting energy from my life. And I had had enough of it. I'm a grown man. I can make that decision. I knew very clearly and I cut him off. And it makes things awkward, right? Like going to parties with this certain group of people is now a little weird for me, but I don't care. I'm cool with the awkwardness. I am actively reaching out to and interacting with people who are my role models, but I'm acting as if I'm their role model, right? I am assuming the position. I am speaking from a place of equal business stature, as our coach Rob puts it, our sales coach. Treat them as if they're your equal, right? With respect and empathy and caring and eagerness and learning, but don't don't shame yourself because you don't have as much money or as much influence or as much audience as them. So here in LA, I host events. I'm doing a big black tie event at my house next weekend. I invited all of my top business contacts. Even though it's my birthday, I'm turning it into a networking opportunity. Yeah. One of the guys called me last night and he said, Hey, that guy you introduced me to just wrote me a check for a hundred thousand dollars invested in my uh, beverage brand. When I hear those conversations happening, I'm like, damn, I'm hanging out with the right people. Those two guys met. I did pizza night at my house and I invited a bunch of guys over who were successful business guys. And then that, that deal happened. So I actually, I think uh, hosting your own events, administering the experiences that you want to have is the best way to network. Literally have a pizza party at your house. And in two weeks, I'm doing a ice bath party. A bunch of bros are going to come over. We're going to put ice in my bathtub and we're all going to strip down and jump in the hot <laughs> tub, in the ice tub. Oh yeah. Bro, you get in now. <laughs> Girlfriends Measure each other's dicks yeah, and uh, t- toss a rugby ball around. Wow. Yeah. Just stri- <laughs> strip down, play with the balls. No one, no one's tossing a rugby ball around. Anyway, look, I think that the piece on this is like you've built a network and you, you're hosting events. I think the other part, and this is probably closer to home for you, Adam, is there's a good term uh, in stoicism. And I think it's actually probably even a Roman term, but uh, Anson Bueller, which basically means someone who clears the path. But it's a term and it comes from the book, Ego is the Enemy from Ryan Holiday, for those who haven't read it. But basically, it's someone who goes out and literally clears the path for those in front of them. And basically, it's wow. the same way that what that role is, is you're making it easier for someone else to be great. And so when you're starting out trying to build a network, a lot of the key things to do is how can I make introductions to someone or how can I make their lives easier so that they get a win and I'm not looking for anything back? Because ultimately, that stuff comes back in favor. But for the person who clears the path, also ultimately controls that path. And so one of the things here, when you think of that, is that if wow. you're the person here that does very similar to what you've done, John, where you've introduced for a friend, that's going to come full circle, right? You're controlling a lot of that relationship and it's helped and created great opportunities for them, but they're going to be thinking of you and bringing you in because you're that type of person. They're like, great, I want John involved just because he's that person. Yeah. And so this piece of being able to network and starting out early is Adam, how did you start to get to find the people you want to be around? Because a lot of people who will be listening to this who don't have a lot of cash want to start being someone of high value or at least coming to a position where John is now in and what we're doing. How would you recommend they do that? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a really good question. And I've, I've uh, tried to think strategically about network and stuff. I mean, you know, one of the things, well, let, let's take how I met John, for example, you know, I, I went to OCC. It's a little community college down here in Costa Mesa. Um, I don't know if your audience is mostly LA, but they probably know of OCC. It's kind of a, it's a big community college around here. And I joined the business and entrepreneur club, applied to be the, you know, quote unquote CMO of the club, got, got into everyone there, met everyone, was putting the meetings together. And then the next semester was the vice president of the club, Connor who we all know was the president of the club that semester. So it, it, it kind of started there in some sense. And then the other part was uh, I would just go Eventbrite and meet up and go to every local entrepreneur, real estate, tech, marketing, e-commerce. And I would just, oh, there's one on Thursday. There's one on Friday. There's one on Sunday. And I would just go. Most of them are free. Some of them are like 10 bucks or whatever it is for entry. And then somehow during that process, uh, I got, I landed at a next gen summit in LA and saw John speaking there. And so John was speaking. I just went up to him after. 
And it, it wasn't like, you know, I kind of say that very simply, but, you know, I went to a lot of these events and it took me a little bit to kind of build up, I, I, I suppose, the, the default courage of just like, oh, everybody's here just to chat with other people. So like, it's, it's not weird at all for you to go up to someone and just start a random conversation. Like they're actually hoping for it realistically. So you kind of got to get across, across that bridge. I mean, the other thing I would say is I, I specifically look for people who have big networks. So, so that, you know, there's a type like John and his networking, it's almost like a type of person that tends to be very well connected to people is very social and can put together events at his house. And even though it's just like at his apartment and all he did was buy pizza, like everybody's super stoked to come and be there and chat with everybody. Like it doesn't have to be some super expensive, like Met Gala style event. Like it's just, oh, we're all going to fucking pizza at John's house. And there's a lot of people like that. You know, John's like that, Connor's like that, Travis is like that. And so I, I stay around those people because those people are like a bridge into a larger network. And they basically, I, like, I don't have to do that much networking because you and John do a ton of networking. And I meet everybody that you bring in to do this business with us. Travis does a ton of networking and he brings me out to go hang out with people. Connor does a ton of networking. Ambrose does a ton of networking. So it's like, I just have to hang out with my best friends and ultimately I'll meet new people every time I go and do that because they're hyper networkers. And I'm, I'm not a hyper networker like they are. Like I meet a lot of people and obviously go out and do my own stuff, but it's just, uh, I've almost delegated it. <laughs> 80, 20. So I think leaving it here and then, and I've almost taken over as the host of this, but Johnny, uh, I'm going to leave it to you for maybe any last questions or remarks that you want to go close on. But I think before that, it's just congrats, bro. We haven't done it publicly or like yeah. we haven't shared it. I know the news came out last week, but I mean, if we look very similar to what we just discussed five years ago, you were living at home, broke in debt to, Hey, you're now the CEO of a publicly traded company. <laughs> like, most people yeah, will train that in a huge, huge way. So I think congrats, bro. Thank you. I, I really appreciate it. And I will say with all honesty that it hasn't hit me yet. It's uh, something that I think is going to have to sink in, but all I know is I'm invigorated by the work and the opportunity to continue like growing PayPal and growing KJ together. I feel very empowered and ready. Um, and supported by you guys, which I much appreciate. You know, to, to tie this off, I just, I think kind of no matter where you're at in your journey, just remember that it's where you're supposed to be. You know, whether you're Johnny Maxim in 2016, having trouble paying your rent, calling your dad for, you know, 1600 bucks, or whether you're, you know, taking over a public company as the CEO, wherever you're at is part of the journey. You know, remember my friends at the time were making way more money than me and had way higher net worth than them. And you know, with all due respect, I probably make way more money than they do now. Um, and just remember that that's going to be you, right? You're going to be hitting multiples of your success um, if you stay patient. If you get impatient, life will serve you some cold hard justice. It'll it'll uh, teach you hard lessons um, if you're not listening, if you're not following the omens. That said, you know, I really appreciate uh, both you and Kale. Adam, you guys have obviously been instrumental and life-changing for me. And I can never thank you guys enough for all that you've done to me and even to allow me to, to take on this other responsibility while being a partner at K&J. That's a big risk. Um, so thank you guys. And I think for the, for the audience, I'd like to, to just leave you guys off with some resources um, that I think have been the backbone of our success and that's books. So let's go ahead and give some book recommendations and we'll close this out. For me, it's going to be The Alchemist by Palo Coelho. Yeah. That one's about following the signs of the universe. Yeah. The richest man in Babylon taught me a lot of the, the finance smarts that I have and multiplying my, my portfolio profit first for young uh, founders who are learning to be profitable as a company. That's the system that we use for um, KJ. We pay our, our partners first out of every $10,000, 35% goes straight to the owners. And then other books, I, I mean, those are, those are like my favorite books. Um, so Adam, I'll pass it to you next. We'll leave these uh, in the show notes. Sure. Depends where everybody is in their journey. Of course, I've read a lot of books, but I, I usually can't be asked for a book recommendation without mentioning Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I mean, it, that was really like my financial grounding or my, my foundation, so to say. And just that reframing, like we, we talked about before how the your old friends like didn't understand the entrepreneurship concept you know they're so 
accustomed to like, you know, you get paid for work before you do it and then keep taking a paycheck. Whereas an entrepreneur has to like wait three or four years and rich dad, poor dad really explains that well. So I think I'm just going to stick with rich dad, poor dad. If, if you guys all just read rich dad, poor dad, I mean, it would, it would help you in your financial literacy for sure. Nice. Okay. So I think for me, there's the one that's tattooed on my arm, which is the obstacles the way um, that's by Ryan holiday based around stoicism. Uh, the other one that I mentioned already is ego is the enemy. I think it's a pivotal thing to remove your ego when you're starting it at any stage of any piece of growing a business or a company, but especially when you're at the start, when you're seeing everyone else succeed and then you're actually then having to go through um, and deal with a lot of failures. Cause if your egos as well, like you, you're just screwed. You're going to go for vanity over the, deferred gratification and then the most recent book that i've really loved and that has been applying a lot of principles is called seeking wisdom from darwin to munger and so that's by peter bevlin it's an incredible book and there's a lot of life rules in there and i think for those who probably want to listen and then some of this is that uh warren buffett and charlie munger the key things they've said is that we haven't been the best uh by trying to be the smartest We've been the best by trying to avoid being stupid. And so I think there's a really key piece there for everyone is that you don't have to be the best. You don't have to have these consistently ever-growing pieces to succeed. It's literally just step function where you try, get better, and then avoid making the same mistakes. Yeah, if you can just avoid making the same mistakes you're doing, you'll just accumulate so much growth and success. So I love that one. I haven't read that book and add it to my list. Well, gentlemen... I appreciate both of you very much more than I can ever uh, express through words, but I hope to express it through my work ethic and my contribution back to, to the company and to, to our relationships. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Love you both. And uh, I'll see you guys on the flip. Sounds good. Thank, thank you, bro. Thank you for having us, John. It was awesome. Cheers.